You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we are talking about catfishing. I'll be honest, uh, other than just going catfishing at a local pond or at my local river as a kid, I have absolutely no experience. So I love when I get to ask questions to an expert, someone on expert level about a topic because I don't know anything. So I'm learning just like you guys are in this episode if you know if you are not someone who actually catfishes. But today we're going to be talking with Brad Durick. Brad is a fishing guide. He is a catfishing expert, I would say. So we're going to talk a lot about what the catfish are doing in the rivers this time of year. We talk about what they're going to be eating, what they're going to be doing uh, in a variety of scenarios, including high water, low water, high temperature, low temperature, storm fronts coming in, storm fronts leaving, and uh, where they like to live in this springtime pre-spawn type of uh, environment and uh, what the water temperatures are doing and a whole bunch of other things that uh, are going on in the catfish world right now. So that's what today's episode is about. Real quick housekeeping, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to stop at the Sportsman or the Iowa Sportsman website, you got to do that, iowasportsman.com. Tons of great articles, fishing, hunting, conservation coming out of their blog. They have the Iowa Sportsman magazine that you guys should probably subscribe to. And the cool thing about the magazine is, although the title of it is the Iowa Sportsman, there's a lot of articles in there that are Midwestern type of content. So that means that whether you live in Missouri, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio, North, South, Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, that Midwestern feel, the articles in there can apply to you as well. So uh, don't sleep on the magazine. And I think that's it. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman through iTunes or wherever you find uh, or wherever you download your episodes. And uh, yeah, enjoy the episode with Brad Durick. Here we go. In three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me right now, Mr. Brad Durek. Brad, how you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This this isn't your first time on the podcast, though, is it? You've been on before, right? I've been on before. And I'm not 100% sure when, but I remember being on before. And I believe we talked a little bit about catfishing then, too, if I'm not. Yep. Right, right. right. So needless to say, it sounds like you're a catfishing nut. It's my thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> once we get going after flood season, uh, it's pretty common for me to be out eight to ten days a week. Okay, most most every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> eight to ten days a week. <laughs> I love it. That's um, usually how the guide service uh, days feel once it gets rolling. Yeah, 
I believe it. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Uh, do you you run a guide service on the Red River, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. And is it mostly catfish or do you spur off into other species? I only do catfish. Only do catfish. So is the Red River, and this is in South Dakota, right? North Dakota. North Dakota. Okay. So is the Red River in North Dakota like the hottest place for catfishing in like the in North America? I mean, is it, I mean, I don't, when I look at, and maybe it's because my tastes are different than a lot of people's, but when I look at, Hey, let's get a guide to go and take us fishing. I don't, I don't envision going, needing a guide to go catfishing. Tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You know, anybody can catch a catfish. They're not that hard to target. But we have this national obsession with catfishing that's erupting, and we've got a lot of new people coming in. And in some cases, they just want to get a taste for it and learn a few things. Uh, I've been around long enough. I've got regulars that they're going to travel from distances and they don't want to drag a boat. They don't want to look for fish. They don't want to deal with bait. They just want to get in the boat and go fishing. I also have some locals that one in particular that I'm thinking of right now. He's been with me the entire 12 years of the guide service existence. And his deal is I'm a farmer. I'm busy. I don't want to own a boat. I'm just going to show up and ride with you and know I'm going to catch fish (laughs) and I'm going to go home and we're going to do it again. So he, he's just out for, it sounds like, the pure relaxation of it all. Yep, yep, that's, and that's, I got a handful of those now. You know, they're just, they don't own a boat. They don't want to put the effort forth to do the homework. They just want to show up and have some fun and go about their business. Yeah, yeah, man, that's, uh, that's uh, how a lot of people are. I mean, even in, in deer hunting, turkey hunting, you name an outdoor activity, there are a, a handful of people that will go to pay to make sure they're, you know, I guess not say make sure they're they're successful, but they uh, increase their odds, so to speak. That's probably the best way to put it right there is increase the odds. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, finding a pattern is not as hard when you're out there every day. Yeah. You're, you know, you're kind of always have a, your finger on what's going on. So what happens when you go out, you know, a guy's paid X amount of dollars to hop in a boat with you and, uh, you know, you advertise that, hey, we're going to go out, we're going to have a good time. There's a potential you're going to catch, catch some really big catfish and, and people get skunked. I mean, do you guys get skunked very often? September 18th, 2011 was my one and only skunk. Oh, wow. So it stuck out in your head. Well, as horrible as it was, it was the end of the season, and I had to stew in it all winter. And ultimately, that's what kicked me in gear to start really studying current seams and why fish follow the seams they follow, which led to a book. And, uh, you know, really kind of set things where it is now. So in the end, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but let's just – say i don't want another one yeah amen on that um so today i brought you on and we're going to talk about catfish spring catfish specifically and um you know you you live in north dakota but you write articles for the iowa sportsman how how similar 
are the river systems in Iowa and North Dakota? Very similar. A lot of the studies and research and writing I do is I take the approach of a river's a river and a catfish is a catfish. Okay. Meaning? So I don't – they do the same things. Uh, they still follow the same temperatures. They still relate to current the same no matter where they are in, in what river. It's just like for in Iowa, for existence, it happens about a month earlier than it happens in North Dakota. Okay. And what happens a month earlier? They get out of their winter patterns and – and start right the, you know the water temps i haven't heard water temp down there lately but from what i'm understanding just seeing pictures is it should be getting into the high 40s to mid 50s somewhere because i'm starting to see more catches in the mid river sections are in the pictures i haven't spoken with anyone but that tells me that they're kind of kicking into high gear putting the feed bags on getting into that that spring mode now i'm talking channel catfish here which start a little earlier than flatheads okay so let's talk um what what are you going to find in 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 the the midwest channel cat flathead blues you got to get down south iowa ish before you start seeing blues okay uh southern minnesota is you know is about as far north as the flatheads go there are a few and far between in the general james we don't even really talk about it much up here. We're channel catfish up here. Okay. So most most of the, the activity that you get on your boat is channel cats. All of our activity is channel cats. Okay. All right. So um, are, are the species different? And what I mean by that is, you know, is there one species that really loves this this particular setup as far as bait is concerned or um, uh, a stream in a river or I mean a seam in a river, a current in a river or um, where they like to live, you know, heavy current, low current? Uh, are, are the species similar or are they different? Yeah, I think they're somewhat similar flatheads i'm not a flathead expert by any means but they tend to not stay in the heavy current more than the other ones do uh but what you said there is fast current slow current the answer to that and i'm just going to speak of channel cats because that's what i know the best is yes they utilize all of it it just depends on conditions and time of year okay all right. For example, we're in a cold water situation right now. We're in a flood situation right now, but if we weren't flooding, we'd be in a cold water situation. Probably a, if it were low water, they would still be in the wintering holes at this point. Okay. As the water warms up into that high 40s, into the middle 50s, they're going to start moving down into the mid-river. Mid they're going to start following the faster current seams. And that's Unless there's a high, higher than normal water situation, they might sit off and get into the, what we would consider the slower current seams. Okay. Still current, just not the main current. Gotcha. Because they're going to migrate and feed with the path of least resistance. Okay. So does that mean that a majority of their time is spent out of heavy current? Right. That's where the holes, the snags, rock piles, that's where all that stuff comes into play, eating and ambushing. Okay. When they're moving or they're sitting now, I'm going to step away from spring for a second because something I really started watching last year is depending what the weather was doing, 
I knew they were in a hole in the midsummer, but depending if there was a positive weather system, they would be on the faster side of the current of a hole versus if there had been a storm or a pressure system or something negative, they would be on the other side of the hole in the slower current system. Okay. And they do that in the spring too, but in, I pulled that one instance out because it was so pronounced at that time. Okay. And I mean, in a lot of cases, it's moving 20 or 30 yards. Okay. From what they want from time to time. Okay. So just out of curiosity, in the lifespan of a catfish, how far do you think they travel up and down a river in their lifetime? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Okay. So they're, they we are... We have documents from some studies that they'll move a couple hundred miles in a few days if the conditions are right. Wow. So they they move that far in a river system in a couple days? If they want to. I mean, they got to have the motivation. They got to be able to get over the dams and other obstacles and some other things have to play into it. But if conditions are right and they're motivated, we know they're making those huge moves. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Because for some reason, I had this idea in my head that catfish just sit in one spot their entire life. Nope. Nope. Are they are they an aggressive and you fish? can dig in even deeper that smaller catfish tend to migrate less. Okay. Until they get to a certain size limit and they go. But that's digging pretty deep there. Yeah. Are they an aggressive fish? When they want to be. When I, um catfish have the what we call it the uh reputation of just being bottom feeders. Yeah. And kind of you know, dumb bottom feeders, so to speak, but they're the true top of the food chain. Uh, they're very aggressive. They'll surface feed. When they want to feed, they'll feed. Yeah. Uh, in springtime, a nice calm evening right before sunset, every now and again when they're really on the feed before the spawn, I've actually watched them surface feed on Globine. Wow. And it's something to see. 10 plus pound fish coming out of the water hitting the fish on the surface yeah i think my biggest uh channel cat that i ever caught oddly enough was in a farm pond and i was you know i was crankbaiting for bass and sure enough i had like a 14 pound catfish uh channel cat bite that sucker i reeled him in i wish i had i wish i had the picture of it because it was it was the biggest catfish i ever caught i think it was like I was probably 16 years old when I caught that, but you know, that just makes, you know, uh, amplifies your point of when they are hungry, they, they, they're aggressive. Right. And you know, they're so big and so aggressive that sometimes they only have to eat once because of just the pure size of the food that they can eat. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So they're, they're real, real neat feeders when you start digging into that. And that's kind of where, catfishing is going as an industry as they're trying to get more into floats and there's actually some lure companies out there now some cat, catfish lures to the catfish yep man that's very interesting that's very interesting let me ask you this i want to i want to back up just a hair and i want to talk to you about you know they they have these wintering holes so in the winter during cold water temperatures are they in the same place for most of the winter Yes, um, there's a lot of documentation, especially with flatheads, that they go and they 
basically they all congregate in the deeper holes out of current whatever and they've almost never move for months their metabolism slows down that they basically get about as close to hibernation as they can get okay channel cats on the other hand they get into the big groups they still have to eat but not very much so you they can be caught through the ice but um you know, uh, just an example of some of the research I've done and read, a 10-pound catfish under, we'll just say under ice, can live on about a fathead minnow a week. Wow. Based on their metabolism. So the reason people catch them ice fishing and can get into good numbers is they find a hole where there's many, many, many fish, and sooner or later, someone's got to eat yeah. within that group. Yeah. Man, that's interesting. That's very interesting. All right, so so they're in these holes for the most part all all winter long. When do they start getting a little bit more active and separating out of these big groups and getting out of those uh, those big holes and redistributing in the river? The, the spring cold water bite gets going usually right when the right after the ice comes out, forty to forty five degrees, and then. From what I've noticed in my experience, and I deal with floods most spring, so I don't have a ton of experience with it, it seems like 48 is kind of that magic number to get them moving out of those holes. Okay. And get them, and then when you get into that low 50s, that's where everything pretty pretty much kicks into high gear. That's where that must-eat in preparation of spawn kind of kicks in with them as well so temperature doesn't mean near as much at that point as it would any other time of the year okay so as they're as they start to get a little bit more active you know this 45 to 48 degree water what are they feeding on that time of year or when they're coming out there they're usually picking up the the old stuff the stuff that died throughout the winter got stuck in the ice whatever in a lot of cases in Iowa and South, it's shad kills. Okay. They're picking up the old shad. Uh, up here, they're picking up old suckers, walleyes, whatever happened to, to die along the way. And when we get in in that those years when we can get in early, we'll pull out the old freezer burn suckers out of the freezer from last year, and that's the best bait. So you, you thaw them out, and then you throw them on the hook and, and drop them down, and they bite like crazy. I don't that. even thaw them out. I just get them soft enough to get a knife through to make cut bait out of them, and down they go. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Uh, all right, so uh, they're they're pretty much scavengers at, at that point in the early spring. At that spring. point, yes. They, yeah. Yes, they are. Okay. So, it's that 50-ish range when they become hunters, and that's when we start switching over to, to fresh bait. Okay. So then how did you, so I want to talk about that early springtime, you know, when they're just kind of scavenging around, what's your strategy at that point? And then how does it change as the water warms up and they turn into that predator? Well, our strategy is go find the wintering holes, use the electronics, try to find where there's lots of congregation of fish and they're still not eating it very good. So your traditional, I find the traditional catfish gear is almost too much. You got to downsize it a little bit. Uh, a lighter rod, uh, or hold on to the rod because they're not going to just grip it, rip it like they do in the summer, and bend it over. 
Okay. They're going to pick at it a little bit. So you got to be a little, have a little bit of touch to know that they're even there. Otherwise they'll just kind of come up, eat your bait, not even move. Yeah. It's so, one thing that I found. Is that hard to uh, know when you actually have one on the line at that point? Uh, not usually, not if you're holding it. Like I said, we deal with flooding so much in the spring that my experience is, is fairly limited in that. But in the fall time, when it's going the other way, we do a lot of that. And at the very bitter end before ice goes on, I actually switch over to a, to a heavier walleye rig and a jig and, and just and fish them with that because I get that added sensitivity so I can feel that very light bite. Man, that's that's awesome. I might have to come up there and fish with you sometime because you're the, the way you talk about catfish. I've never heard, I've never heard anybody talk about catfish like that before. And of course, I'm out of the whole fishing game, right? I don't. I fish as you know for fun. You know, I'm a whitetail hunter. I take that very seriously. I or bow hunting and all all that stuff. So um, that I've never heard catfish being talked about like you talk about catfish and it is actually making me excited about wanting to get out there and go catfishing again. Well, let's hope your listeners feel the same way because I'm going to need all the help I can get after coronavirus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel you, man. I feel you. All right. So, so they're, they're scavengers off the bottom. They start to get into this this more predatory mode in, in the the I guess you'd say low fifties temperature water. Um, how does your strategy change then from you know just dead fish on a hook in the holes to uh, something that's more of an aggressive feeder? I start checking like corner holes, you know bends. And I usually, depending what the water's doing, of course, and I'm talking height, I usually start looking out of the current, back side of the inside corners downstream, where the main brunt of the current is actually going by, giving it a little bit, giving them a little bit of breathing room, so to speak. I'll put bait in there just to kind of get a feel if they're in there, because they're not quite in the mood. They're not in the holes, but they're not aggressively feeding or that's usually where i'll start the day if they're not there i'll start fishing a little bit more aggressively okay and and going from there and you know we're allowed two lines per person i'm almost never alone so uh i'll set up on a spot where i can put a couple lines in a faster current and a couple lines in a slow almost out of the current just to kind of get a feel for where they are and then adjust from there okay you know how um bass they school up in big groups almost all year round right that you know most of the time they're uh i know and i'm speaking from my experience fishing the mississippi river um the we'll find a, a big school of bass and it's just if you find the right school every cast is a is a fish right do do catfish congregate like that throughout the spring and summer months like they do in the winter when they when they're all in their holes I'm going to say no and yes. And what I mean by that is they tend to be, or they're supposed to be more independent. Okay. So the way I fish them and I talk about current seems a lot, I look at it that I'm just kind of heading them off on their highways, getting them in their travels as they're making their move. There's 
whether in the spring making that migration, you know, get where they're running and then, you know, try to find the holes where they're getting off at the rest area, so to speak. Okay. So I fish real aggressive. Once they kick into high gear, I start getting real aggressive. I mean, 15, 20 minutes in a spot, get a couple of fish and move on and just keep basically leapfrogging. In a lot of cases, I'm running on that same current seam. I'm just going hole to hole to hole, getting where they're laying down and giving them a, an easy meal to get on my hook. Yeah. So they're not necessarily schooling up, but they are because we found if you can fish that first three or four miles below a dam, that dam is, is actually schooling them up whether they want to be or not Okay. as a barrier. They're making that move upstream, and then they're running into that barrier. Some are getting over the dams, especially the ones that are made for migration. It's just taking them a little longer, and some are just kind of feeding within that faster current in that first few miles. Okay. So they're not necessarily meaning to school up, but they are. Okay. So are, with that said, then, uh, if one finds a if, – if a catfish finds a good spot and he calls it his home – are fish like that territorial where if a bigger, badder catfish comes up and he says, well, I like what, where you're at. I mean, are they kicking each other out all the time and, and cycling through those good spots? Absolutely. Usually in the case, I'll eat you. Okay. All right. You know, that's, we need to step into flatheads for a minute. The flathead is the biggest, baddest ombre on the block. He's going to win the real estate battle every time. Okay. usually over that channel. So like when we go the few times I've been to the Minnesota river, they're fishing their flatheads on an inside snag pile where the flathead wants to be and not fishing their channels on the edge of it because the flatheads got the channel cat chased off. Of okay. So they fish them first, get them out of there and then come back what the next day and then channel cats are in their place. Uh, I guess I can't answer that particular question i just know that they fish it differently because we don't have flatheads we just go in and fish it for the channels the way we fish it because of course they can win that real estate battle they don't have to deal with the flatheads okay so so then springtime right the, the water's warmed up you're in your low uh your your low uh 50s and uh they're starting to become more predator how does your bait change at that point then Basically, I go to a fresh cut instead of a frozen. I switch to fresh cut. I buy it live, cut it as soon as I use it, or sometimes I'll kill it and put it on ice the night before and cut it when I use it in the next day. But that's getting pretty deep. Normally, fresh is best. Okay. So they're looking to have a fresh meal. We want to offer them a fresh meal. Okay. So what is that fresh meal that you're offering them? In my, my case, I like white sucker. That's my go-to bait most of the year, in particular that time of year. Okay. Others use gold eyes. Some people insist on frogs. I'm not a big fan of frogs in the spring. I don't think there's any real advantage to them yet because they're not migrating to the rivers yet that time of year. They're off in the sloughs. Right. You know, making little frogs. Yeah. So... Do you ever use live bait? I do, and the reason I don't a lot is I go through so much bait, and it's so expensive that 
to use a, a good size sucker for a couple bucks, I can get five baits out of it if I cut it. Okay. All right. So that's why I don't use a lot of live bait. I know it works. I know they'll hit it. I think you're going to get bigger fish using live bait. But, you know, I, I am pretty efficient at how I'm moving, how I'm changing bait, how I'm doing everything. So I've kind of just taken the cost approach. I can get more pieces of cut bait out of that same piece of bait, and I just run with it. Okay. Uh, does the term, uh, if you want to catch big fish, use big bait, apply to catfish? I don't follow that at all. Okay. All right. I use about a one-inch square chunk of meat all year long. Okay. And you're catching all all size ranges? I, I go where the, I think the big fish are, and I don't worry about big bait, big fish. I get grief for it from time to time, but my results keep coming back the way I want them to, so I guess I've not put much stock into switching. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. So right now you're talking about uh, you got some flood stage, right? Let's talk about low water, high water scenarios this time of year. Um, and, and we'll get to high water because that's what you're dealing with right now. Let's talk about low average to low water levels in, uh, in a river. How are you approaching that? Average to low average water levels are nice. Those fish still make that move. They can still get up by that tail race. They pretty much do everything they want, but if that current isn't, isn't there to their liking, they won't, they'll turn around and leave again. It's not that current makes them predictable. And if, if you have an average spring, that's fine. You get your average, you get your normal average bite it ends a little quicker than it would in a higher situation in low water. They don't have those tunnels and highways to hold them, to make them predictable. So they tend to spread out more. So the trick there is try to find more visible current. If you can find more heavier visible current neck down areas, of river that's going to make that current visible that's where you want to start targeting there or get below a tail race where it's making more current that tends to bottle them up and make them predictable a little more. What about wing dams? I don't have them up here, Okay, but I've studied them quite a bit. I fish wing dams like I do wood piles and follow how the current's coming around them and by them. I, I, to me, looking at them and how they operate. And I've spent hours looking at the Missouri river in Omaha at their wing dams. I just view it as a, basically a fixed wood pile along the bank because the water goes around them basically the same, find that sweet spot where that lack of current is and just view it as a piece of structure. Okay. Is that, is that on the back end then of a wing dam is where you're going to find the catfish? Right. Okay. Right on that outside edge. Okay. And is that where there's still current, but it's, there's a lag in the current compared to, uh, like, are, I'm trying to, I'm trying to describe right, right it. where the boil is on the outer edge. Okay. Creates a dead spot. 
and any wood pile, any piece of structure, rock pile, whatever it will be, if current's going by it like that, it will create that dead spot. That's a resting spot, least point of least resistance. And that weird current that's coming swinging around will grab bait and food and whatever and throw it in there. I got gotcha. you. So it's easy pickings. Yeah. Yeah, so they don't have to uh, put a lot of energy towards finding food if they, like, kind of snuggle up in that spot. Right. Okay. All right. So any any other places to look during low water, low to average water? (laughs) Well, low water, I tend to stay right in the middle looking for that that visible current. Uh, The shallow waters, things like that, tend to not work as good as it would with higher current, especially low water. you got to kind of look for that current and play that current. Okay. Average water, you know, they can be pretty much anywhere because average water, to me, average water is what you want all summer long. You know, no real intense fluctuations up or down. Yeah. But we haven't gotten that in the last couple of years, right? I mean, it. I, I think the last time we spoke, you were dealing with high water too. Yeah, last year I had very average. I had a big spring flood and I had a, a short summer flood, but for the most part I had a very average year Okay. until the very end when we flooded out again. But for the most part, I would call last year very average. Okay. So let me ask you this. Uh, is the bite better on the way up or the way down? I prefer it on the way up. On the way up. Why is that? Well, I shouldn't say that. I prefer it on the way up if I get a choice, but if it's falling a little bit, that's one thing. If it's falling fast and dramatic, that's a whole other animal. Okay. So, I mean, falling a couple inches a day, which is normal, isn't going to affect it. It's when you get through a flood where it's falling a foot a day, two feet a day, that's where it, it, it's like it confuses them. Yeah. You want to find that point where it starts to level off. Okay. So consistent consistent water is the best as far as consistent biting. Right. It can go up a little. It can go down a little. But you don't want big swings. You don't want big swings in anything, temperature, water level, anything. Okay. So with all that said then, is there, you know, through all your experience fishing, is there a time when the bite is better like with the river rising or the river falling, or is it is it consistent if the rising and lo- lowering water levels are also consistent? It's usually pretty consistent. It's more of the if you can get a sort of consistent rise or fall, it's gonna they're gonna follow what they're seasonally supposed to do. They're not making those big adjustments. Okay. So like in the spring traditionally you have runoff and then you have a slow gradual drop because that's just what happens it tends to not affect a thing or if you get some rain it might come up a little bit it's it's not dramatic or if you get five inches of rain and it starts coming up three inches an hour things change fast yeah yeah so when it's a dramatic uh change in water level are they hard to find because they're adjusting i think rising water is pretty easy actually but falling water, I, I I can find them on the electronics, but to get them on the hook is a whole other animal when it's falling fast. Okay. So when it's rising... by falling fast, I'm saying a foot or two a day. Okay. So when it's rising fast, then how are you catching them? They head right to the bank. 
Okay. Just to, out just of to get out right of it. To the bank. So, yep. So it's usually pretty easy, and I've had to deal with it enough that I've got my list of spots that I know I can try. And I tend to fish slower when it's rising like that. It seems like they're a little bit confused, so you got to get out of the current. you got to put your bait down and then sit there a little bit longer and wait for them to come to you yeah. versus the run-and-gun approach that we all like. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's uh, – are, are, are they going to the structure at that point then? Are, are they still looking for structure, or are they just trying to get – They prefer it, but I, the, the key is just not having that main current on them. Okay. They never get too far away from it, but they – don't want to be in it necessarily right right all right so then the uh as as they're starting to be more aggressive and feed are when when does the the channel cat spawn happen that's a that's a water temperature thing right yep 70 to 74 degrees okay so when does the river typically hit that spawn we are up here we are June 10th, give or take a few days. Okay. I usually notice them start getting ready right around June 10th. And it's usually in full swing by the 20th. Okay. Now down in your neck of the woods, I would suspect it's more like about June 1st. Okay. All right. So from your experience, and I know you're, you're the, you're a channel cat guy, but what about flathead and blues? Are they, do they spawn in different water temperatures or are flatheads all... like it a little bit warmer? They tend to be a little bit later starters. Okay. And they tend to stay on the nest a little bit more in everything that I've studied about them. Okay. All right. So when it's time to spawn, right? Like most animals, the only thing that are really thinking about is breeding, right? Right. So how does the, the strategy change? during or leading up to the spawn? Well, the first thing you notice when it's starting to edge in on 70 is they start spreading out. They tend to turn around and go downstream. So you have to hit more spots, be a little bit more methodical in how you're fishing. And that's just them spreading out, kind of finding where they want to go. Uh, My first approach is most years, not all fish spawn at the same time. You've got some go in early and some go in late. So I, I just kind of keep doing what I'm doing till it doesn't work anymore. Okay. Going for those pre-spawners. If you get the perfect spawn, you should be hitting pre-spawners well into the spawn. And then one day you'll start catching these skinny, ratty looking fish that are coming off the spawn. Yeah. And the bite never really changes all that much. But the fish But do. if you get a real sharp heat, if it gets real hot real fast, it'll push them all in. That's when you got to start completely changing gears. you got to start looking at cut banks. you got to start looking tight wood to the bank, tree stumps under the water, places where they might make a nest. And then you got to put bait on those places and you got to sit a little longer and wait for that fish. And sometimes you're not necessarily getting that fish to eat. You're getting that fish mad to protect the nest. I gotcha. So it's more of a, it's more of a stay out of my way bite. Right. And a lot of times, especially if you're on a cut bank, if you're watching your lines, they'll pick it up and you'll see your line moving to the side, but your rod will never move. 
And when they get to the current edge, it'll stop, and that's it. It's over. So They'll they, just pick it up, move it to the current edge, spit it out, and go back. That's unique. Yeah, that's crazy. So so you got to be ready to set a hook on that situation. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so when they come out of the out of winter they're they're biting they're they're feeding a lot you know to to you know basically get the nutrients that they didn't get throughout the entire um the winter is there another is they right before spawn like pre-spawn or maybe even pre pre-spawn is there another big uptick in feeding to prepare for the spawn well the pre-spawn that starts at that 58 degrees Basically goes right up to seven. Okay. So if you get a nice, a nice long spring, and you get you know highs for us seven, six, or a low five, you can get that bite to spread out and it stops. It doesn't stop until the temperature says to stop. Okay. All right. So, so then. The, so basically, it's pre, it's pre-spawn from the time they get out of their wintering holes. They're just they're right. just preparing for breeding they're season. Yep. Okay, all right. So then, as they they start to spread out during the spawn, which is in in June here, um, what you know they're, they're going to nests. Are the males and fem- are you catching males in different spots? Are you catching females in different spots as they as they spread out? Well, it's kind of interesting. Observation. Right when they're starting to go to the nest, if you get close to a nest, you'll know because on the current side out away from the nest, you'll start catching a bunch of males. And you can tell them because they're all swollen up and they're jet black. Oh, wow. They're a lot like deer. And you know there must be a female around because there's usually four or five males on that outside just kind of waiting for his turn. Yeah. And you might get the female on the inside. After a few days, you won't see that anymore. And you'll start catching the males where they're moving it away from that nest. And females are usually hard to find okay. for about a week, week and a half. Gotcha. So do they, during the spawn, is there a less of a bite? It slows down. I would say stop. Some years it slows down about 20%-ish. Other years, if not all fish spawn at the same time and you can kind of ride that, you really don't even notice it. Okay. How long does the spawn usually last then? In a perfect world, it's about three weeks. Three weeks, okay. Some years you get hot. Like I've seen it where it got super hot, sent them all into the nest, and we were done in two weeks. I've seen it where they go in, they start to spawn, fishing gets a little tough, and then the water temp cools down, and it's like it puts everything in neutral. Yeah. And then you got to wait for it to warm back up so they can finish what they're doing. Yeah. And that's, I've seen go for four or five, six weeks before. Yeah. Well, I wish the, uh, I, there's times where I wish the whitetail rut was six weeks, six, six weeks long, and then there's times I wish it was like four days just all in one straight depending on how much time i actually had to hunt so if i had the time off man i would love for the rut to be six weeks right but uh there's times where i i only have a short period of time i'm like let's just get this over with let's go let's get it kicking so um so now 
during this springtime, right, we've talked about water levels, we've talked about water temperatures, when a storm comes through, or, you know, it's cloudy day, or it's a rainy day, or if it's a high pressure, low pressure day, or a, a, a sunshiny day, does the bite change on those different weather patterns? Right. It's all of it plays in. It's just how far it's going to play. Uh, in a perfect world, you're going to have partly cloudy with a lightly falling barometer and pleasant out, not windy. Yeah. It, and that seems to be the best. If you can get those long drawn out stretches of a Southeast wind where it's nice out, but you know, sunny, few clouds in the sky that seems to be the best if okay. you've got a storm looming if it's if it's just a little front they might slow down here and there they might get off the current for a little bit nothing nothing to really write home about but if there's one of those big storms you know where you kind of know if something's setting up you can just kind of feel it the weatherman's warning you the thing three or four days in advance when those are about to hit about a day or two ahead of time, you uh, hang on to your rods because it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And then the second that storm hits and the wind swings to the Northwest, it's over for about two days. Then you got to shift gears completely, get out of the current and fish slow and do everything you can to make those fish entice the bite. Okay. And I'm not convinced it was the barometer that necessarily shocked them like we've all been taught. I'm convinced that they know there's something negative happening and they're feeding in preparation for it, which is why the bite is so good before the front. After the front, they're just tucking out and going to wait out the negativity, whatever it may be. Right. So you're talking about... You tend to do the same thing. Yeah. So you're talking about 42, uh, 48 to 72 hours before a front comes through is when the bite is on. Right. I, I've got a couple of them documented where you're getting warned by the weatherman that on Saturday we got a big one coming. You know, Hang on to your hat. It's going to be a good one. And basically about Wednesday, you know the bites. You, fi- you fish the most aggressive water. You run and gun, run short sit clocks, hit as much current as you can and you can really roll up some nice numbers and it's like each day wednesday thursday friday the bite gets better and even the day of the storm the bite is going well and then bam the storm hits it's over yeah yeah so it can be it can be almost like a light switch right okay and i've got it documented a couple times to that being that dramatic but most of the time it's not that dramatic yeah. You know, most of the time it's just a little storm comes through at night. It might slow the bite down for a few hours, no big deal. Okay. So when when the timings get tough, right? You have to be creative. Let's let's say you have average water and you start bringing clients in uh and you know, they have a you know, they've scheduled in advance this time to be on the boat with you and you have one of these patterns where the fish bite is just not it's it's not you know they've the guy before you slayed him right he caught fish after fish the cold front or this front came, excuse me this front came through and uh now the bite is just 
kind of stalled. What are you doing from a strategy standpoint to get your clients on on these fish? I generally head out of the current again. Okay. When that happens, head out of the current and fish slower. It's more boring way to fish, but it does produce fish. Uh, it basically, I've been around long enough that fishing slower and less aggressive current is the answer to that question. Uh, going back to the one time I was skunked, things weren't going well. And instead of fishing slower, I was fishing faster mm. and I wasn't giving the fish an opportunity to come out and find the bait. Yeah. And I was losing patience and it bit me. Yeah. Another thing is when things don't go well, you tend to go back to what you know has worked before in terms of spots. Right. You know, I caught fish there yesterday. I caught fish there this morning. And you start fishing bad spots because they're not rotated properly. I see. Experience has taught me don't go back to those spots because you've already hit them and, and make your adjustments and stick to your game plan. Okay. So through documentation, you know, you've used that word uh, a lot. I've documented this. If you, do you have like a journal or something that you look at that says, okay, the, this is the water level. This is the temperature. This is the time of year. I need to go check these spots. And they, I can, I can tell you pretty much every day I fished who I fished with and what the conditions were back through 2007, man, that's awesome. And then you just count, you just keep cataloging that, that information and that success or lack of success and knowing that, Hey man, uh, I, I, you know, it's, uh, it's April 15th, uh, that's 70 degrees outside. The water temperature is 60 and, uh, we are going to go here because, in those in those conditions, these spots are what we're going to hit first. Yep. Gotcha. All right. So let me ask. a whole book about it. <laughs> there, there you go. What's hey, What's the name of the book? It's called Advanced Catfishing Made Easy. Okay. So let me ask you this: When you slay, when you you go out there and it's just like they're jumping in the boat, how long until a spot recovers to till you can go back there and fish it again? In the spring, when I know they're moving and migrating, I'll go back the next day. Okay. Once the spawn hits and after, I won't even look at it for three days. Gotcha. Okay. Four or five, preferably. But a lot of times I just don't have, I, I start running out of spots by the third or fourth day. <laughs> I got to get back on some. I gotcha. So out of curiosity, do you guys keep the catfish or is there a slot limit or do you throw them back? What's the... What what do you guys do? We have we have a slot limit and a pretty stringent limit. So we're five fish per person. Only one can be over twenty four inches. Okay. Since day one, I won't let any over twenty four inches go. Uh, my theory to that is, you know, people by the time they get to me, they're not looking to. They're generally looking for the picture. So I want as many big fish in there as I can get. Yeah. Yeah. So in a, in an average year, we catch a couple thousand fish, maybe 50 or 60 small ones go home with customers. Gotcha. Just enough for some pan frying. Yeah. Most people, I have no interest in taking them. They take their pictures and they go on their way. 
and a few people they want a few some people want two or three for dinner i got a couple that come in and if they get a big one they have fun and if they get a little one they take it home yeah so let me ask you this Uh, on a good year what's uh what's an average trip out uh, on the river produce for you for you statistically speaking it's about 1.8 fish per hour okay one point. So I say about a fish and a half to two fish an hour, which is in an eight-hour trip is between twelve and sixteen fish. Okay. So of course I always want better, but I can go back through my whole year, put it all on a spreadsheet, and average it out, and it always comes out to that. Okay. So then, what about the weights of those fish? Every year is different. Uh, normally, when I've kept really close track of it, we come in between eight and nine pounds average. That's pretty good. So when a customer calls me and says, what can I expect? I always say, statistically speaking, you're going to get about a fish and a half an hour, which is 12. Of course, we're always going to try for more, and we're usually good for a 15-pounder plus every three or four hours. A 15-pounder or more. Right. Wow. What's the biggest uh, fish you've caught since you've started guiding? I have one we never got a scale on that we know was flirting with 30. Um, last year's big was 24 pounds. The year before it was 26. The year before that, I think we had four 26s. Okay. And I'd have to go back and look older than that. So is that is a 26-pound channel cat a big channel cat? 25. 20's big. 20's 25 big. is really special. Yeah. Really, really special. Yeah. Yeah, the fourteen. Um, the fourteen. You know, I, I expect to get forty or fifty over twenty through the boat every year. I expect to get maybe one over twenty-five. Okay. Yeah, that that fourteen pounder that I caught. Obviously, it took me by surprise, but it was, it was, I don't know. Back then, when I caught it from my ankle to my hip, long it, I felt like, and uh, I don't even know how long that is, but you know. I'm guessing 30-some inches. Does that sound about right? Uh, 15-pounders are anywhere from 33 to 36 inches. Okay, yeah, so somewhere around, you know, over 30 inches. And um, I was tickled pink. I, you know, got my picture taken, and I threw them back in in the pond. But, uh, you know, for for the people um, who take them home, right, do you – when you go out and maybe you're, you have a, a three or four day period where you need to go out and do some scouting or you need to do some scout fishing to get out there and, and try to find where these are before an, another client comes in and, and you catch a one big enough for the pan, let's say, are you, are you taking them home and eating them or are you just, are you done with catfish as far as eating them is concerned? I'm not a big fish eater, period. So. Okay. Okay. Well, and I think. I think catfish are cute, so I have no I I have no desire to keep them. Okay, well, that's, I had like a whole list of questions about what's your favorite catfish recipe, but then when you say, "Well, I'm not really a catfish guy. I don't really like eating catfish," <laughs> that ends that part of it. No, I said fish. <laughs> oh, fish! I didn't P- say catfish. I said fish. Fish. Period. <laughs> so, if you are eating catfish, do you have a favorite recipe? If I eat fish, pretty much any kind of fish, I chunk them up, put some breading on them, and throw them in the fryer. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably my go-to as well, as well. So let's say a guy's out on a boat, and uh, he he's new to locating catfish, whether he's fishing from the bank or he's fishing from uh, a boat. 
are there any above water identification markers that he can look at? And let's say he may not have uh, any um, technology or electronics on the boat, just a motor and a boat and a fishing pole. Are there any above the water markers that a guy can identify and say, okay, that's a good place for a catfish? I always say when I'm doing seminars, look for your wood piles first because they're easy to find. Gotcha. Gotcha. If there's a wood pile there, odds are pretty good. There's going to be a fish there. Okay. So that being said, we've had so much flooding lately that most of our wood piles around here have been washed away. Okay. Those of us who really like to fish wood don't have any left to fish and whatever is here is just getting beat to death by other fishermen. So we, you know, even I've had to learn how to fish without wood piles. Yeah. So with that said, but wood is a good starting point. It's nice and easy. If you have any kind of depth finder at all, look for a hole, start there. Okay. All right. And then I, I, I push current, 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 but it takes a while to learn how to read current. I mean, it took me the better part of 10 years to really get good at reading current. Yeah. So that's not something that's just going to come overnight. Yeah. That makes sense. So when the guy does find a wood pile that's kind of sticking out of the water, um, is it best to go upstream of that or downstream of that? I like to go upstream. I like to fish, put that bait right in the wood where that fish is going to be. Okay. All right. So then with that said, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. Guy gets one hooked. Is there any type of maneuvering that needs to be done in order to keep the fish from going deeper into this wood pile and getting it snagged? And uh, in then the you... wood pile real fast. Get him out of there. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that first couple of feet is where you're going to lose. Is you're going to gain him or get him or lose him. Yeah. If you're running clickers where they can free spool in, you know, you're taking that much bigger of a risk because they're taking line in. You don't know if they went around something. You don't know. They took a left turn here or there, and you just don't know. Where I run circle hooks, everything's locked down, so they only have about a foot of movement that they can do in the process of turning the hook and setting the rod. Yeah. Yeah. So, and again, I don't fish a ton of wood anymore. Do, when cat, I would if, if we had more of it, I would fish it. I know that. Yeah, when catfish bite, are they are they like a a bass where they strike, or do they nudge it a little bit and then bite it, like play with it? In in a lot of cases, they they kind of play with it. Okay. They 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 swim next to it. They sometimes they pick at it. Frogs in particular, it's like they pick it up, play with it for a minute, set it back down come back in. So I always say it's like a cat and a mouse with frogs in particular. They'll just, you know, you'll watch the rod, you know, they're there. If you pick it up, there's no fish, but if you wait and wait and wait and pretty soon after a little bit of this and a little bit of that, then it's just kaboom. Yeah. Game over. And that's probably where patience and experience come into play. Whereas cut bait, you know, they might play with it a little bit. They might not. And then they hit it and, if they're in the mood and they're feeding hard and, you know, springtime and you have the right bait, there's no guesswork. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're just going to do a, a real a quick overview now uh, for the guys who are getting ready to maybe get their boat in the water, hit the rivers, um, or maybe even fish from the bank. 
what uh, what are some things that we all need to remember when we're going out the last part of April uh, leading up into the June spawn? Well, first and foremost, especially if you're in flood areas and mud and whatever, is be safe. Keep your cool. Wear your life jackets. Uh, at this point in the season, it's still cold. You know, uh, hypothermia can set in if something happens. Keep all that stuff in mind. I don't want to be a downer, but keep it all in mind and keep cool. Okay. And I mean cool-headed, cool not yeah. cool. <laughs> not frozen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's first and foremost. But other than that, just make sure you have good line, good rods, good reels. And, uh, you know, be willing to try different things and stay on the move and experiment a little bit. and It'll all it'll all happen. Yeah. Other than the uh, Iowa Sportsman magazine, which the, the current uh, issue has an article that you wrote for them, where else uh, do you put out content that someone might be able to go and uh, consume regarding catfishing or maybe even your guide service? Uh, my guide service site has current reports once we get fishing usually twice a week and that's redrivercatfish.com photos go up reports go up uh my facebook page which is just facebook at brad direct outdoors uh that is updated almost daily once we get fishing okay and as far as articles and various things i do some iowa sportsmen i have a regular catfish column in midwest outdoors uh i've got some um what is it game and fish magazine the midwest edition i got one coming out in there and then when the catfish insider that in fisherman puts out here in about a month comes out i think i did three or four interviews for that this year okay so you're all over the place so we've talked about lots of different stuff and then now Once we get in this spring, it looks like there's going to be a slow start to guiding season thanks to this coronavirus deal. I'm planning, me and my kid are going to go out and do some video and some different uh, things with that Yeah. while we're getting ready this spring. Yeah. Well, good luck with everything. Hopefully this, uh, you know, for everybody, hopefully the old coronavirus goes away uh, faster than what it came and uh, we can all enjoy the rest of our spring and summer and you get some... uh, some more work on your boat and uh man i hope that water goes down and you have a good year on the river thank you yeah we're gonna have a good year on the river these years tend to make good fishing they're a little drawn out to get to the water but it usually has good fishing on the backside of it so i'm pretty excited about what the fishing's going to bring this year because of the high water so it just comes the, the my biggest worry right now is that stupid virus yeah <laughs> And, think, and just, will I have customers? Will I be able to go? Yeah. I, you know, more than anything. Yeah, I don't think uh, North Dakota has any restrictions in place right now, do they? Um, Not officially. Uh, everything's closed like everywhere else. Yeah. And they've got this list of states that if you visit one, you have to quarantine for 14 days. Yeah which one of the states as of a couple of days ago is Minnesota. Yeah, I saw that. Which is two miles away. Yeah. So um, I work in Minnesota for my off-season job, so I'm over there every day anyway. 
but uh, we'll see. I got to run over there this weekend and pick the boat up. I hope they don't catch me. <laughs> well, good luck uh, this upcoming year, and uh, hopefully you uh, rip some lips, man. Appreciate it. Thank you much, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Brad for taking time out of his day to hop on and chat with us. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to hop on and chit chat uh, or listen. You're actually just listening. So uh, the Sportsman's uh, the Sportsman's Nation and the Iowa Sportsman appreciate your attention. And uh, man, if you guys are out catching any fish, shooting any deer or turkey or finding mushrooms or doing something within the world of conservation why don't you go to the iowa sportsman uh facebook page and post some pictures send us your pictures and we'll be happy to share them on our uh, on our facebook page so go do that tell them you listen to the podcast and uh, i guess we will talk to you next time